Welcome to the Relatively Damaged Podcast by Damaged Parents, where numb, lonely, hurt people come to learn maybe, just maybe, we're all a little bit damaged. Someone once told me it's safe to assume 50% of the people I meet are struggling and feel wounded in some way. I would venture to say it's closer to 100%. Every one of us is either currently struggling or has struggled with something that made us feel less than... Like we aren't good enough, we aren't capable, we are relatively damaged, and that's what we're here to talk about. In my ongoing investigation of the damaged self, I want to better understand how others view their own challenges. Maybe it's not so much about the damage, maybe it's about our perception and how we deal with it. There is a deep commitment to becoming who we are meant to be. How do you do that? How do you find balance after a damaging experience? My hero is the damaged person, the one who faces seemingly insurmountable odds to come out on the other side whole. Those who stare directly into the face of adversity with unyielding persistence to discover their purpose. These are the people who inspire me to be more fully me, not in spite of my trials, but because of them. Let's hear from another hero. Today's topic includes sensitive material which may not be appropriate for children. This podcast is provided for informational purposes only and is not intended as advice. The opinions expressed here were strictly those of the person who gave them. Today we're going to talk with Dante. He's the backyard Buddha. He has many roles in his life, brother, change maker, and way more than that. We'll talk about how he struggled with addiction to drugs, alcohol, cigarettes, was suicidally depressed, and has determined that he struggles with borderline personality disorder and how he found health and healing. Let's talk. If you want to share your relatively damaged story of struggle and how you found hope, visit us at damagedparents.com and complete the contact form. If you want to share your relatively damaged story of struggle and how you found hope, visit us at damagedparents.com and complete the contact form. Welcome to Relatively Damaged by Damaged Parents. Today we have Dante, the Backyard Buddha. He's on TikTok and Instagram, always with fascinating short little tidbits of inspirational messages. I'm so glad you're here today. Thanks for having me on. I'm pumped. I'm super excited because you came on to talk about struggle and challenges. And it's always neat to hear someone else's story and see ourselves in that story, even though it's not exactly our story. So I would love it if you just start your story where it starts for you, and then I'll ask some questions along the way. How's that sound? Sounds great. Sounds great. Being a kid, I feel like that's where all of us get really conditioned by our parents, uh, our immediate family that we're close to in those formative younger years and our environment, what's kind of happening and what's at play for me. I love my parents and I love my family and and they're amazing. And we all have conditioning that we come into this world with. And sometimes it's very hard to break out of that. And a lot of the conditioning that was placed upon me growing up had a lot to do with addiction, a lot of emotional abuse, physical abuse, nothing. It's probably me like disqualifying my own fucking trauma, but like, oh, can I curse on here? I'm sorry. It's okay. Go for it. We'll just label it explicit. (laughs) Cool. Sorry about that. I didn't have like physical abuse that was like getting beat or with an object or something, but I did have it as like punishment for certain things. Or I, I was punished. I had to do like a bunch of exercise and stuff that 
I didn't really want to do for not acting in a specific way or for voicing how I really felt. I think I heard you say you would be punished for how you really felt or by expressing that emotion. Yeah. Sometimes I would express how I was feeling and I would be shut down or I would see that really disappoint the person I was expressing to. And I'll kind of leave names out to not call people out. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So I just want to get a better understanding. So you would say you were upset about something and then it was, maybe it was like, buck up, you got nothing to worry about, or what were the types of things that you would hear so that it made it seem like it wasn't okay? Yeah. Good question. So I was and still am a very, very sensitive person and there's words for that codependent empath. So I'm super aware as a defense mechanism of like how other people are feeling. And like one time I remember I was voicing how I felt because I really didn't want to do something. I was, I was feeling sick, nauseous. I felt like crap. And I was just like, I, I can't do this today. And that was a big deal for me because most of the time I just kind of suppress it and just go along with what everyone else wants to do. And I remember the person I expressed this to, I could just feel their disappointment like radiating. And for the rest of that day, they proceeded to punish me by like having me run up flights of stairs, hold uh, like two Sharpies and just stand like this for long periods of time until it like hurt. Yeah. And you're, and you're holding your arms up, like as if you're going to raise a barbell above your head. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Push ups and it's just all manner of stuff like that. So, and I would get spanked for things that I didn't really, you know, warrant spanking. I mean, does anything really ever warrant a spanking? So like, that's the extent of like the physical abuse side. It's nothing crazy, like someone might traditionally think, like getting beat, but it was very damaging, especially to someone who's very sensitive. And that was definitely not the parenting style that I needed or anyone needs, really. I'm kind of ranting here, though. But apart from that, I witnessed like a lot of addiction in my family, alcoholism, you know, drugs, meth, weed, which I, I wouldn't classify as like a drug drug, but it, it was definitely abused and not in a way that I think is healthy. A lot of codependent behaviors were instilled because I felt like I couldn't really express myself and I had to continually please the people around me and watch out for how they're feeling. It's very much walking on eggshells. And if I could do this, if I could intuit enough how they were feeling, then I could act in the way that they would see as preferable, which I got really, really adept at doing. So to diffuse their own internal tension and lower the risk of being yelled at or being on the end of their disappointment. Okay, so you literally, as a codependent, would try to watch and see if you could figure out how someone else was going to to behave and then adjust your behavior accordingly. And you did that a lot, it sounds like, because I also heard you say that when the parenting style, you standing up for yourself and then being punished for standing up, that was a huge, gigantic deal for you if you're used to pleasing people. Totally. So you were really stepping out of your comfort zone and then got punished for it. Oh my gosh. So, I mean, angry, frustrated. What do you remember? I don't know the look from you. I get that you probably remember exactly what that felt like. Like, was there a physical sensation? What you've already told us a little bit about what was going through your head. Like, I don't deserve this. Yeah, I remember it was definitely a big turning point of like, oh, this whole standing up for myself thing doesn't really work. So let me just resign myself to to never doing that again. Because, wow, look, I got a whole entire day of punishment and I, I feel like I've horribly disappointed the person. And that was very heartbreaking. It was very 
it felt like I caused their perceptions and like it was my fault what they were feeling, which is ridiculous. That's their own perceptions. That has nothing to do with me. I know that now, but it was horrible. So from that moment, I then just got really quiet and suppressed everything that I was feeling. And that was kind of the start of a lot of codependency. Yeah. I mean, it's so it sounds like it in some ways in codependency, the behavior that you have that people pleasing would. So let's say you like someone, you're going to do everything that you think they want. And then at some point, maybe that will backfire. I mean, I don't know where I'm what I'm trying to get at. I, I'm just thinking that the people pleasing couldn't be super helpful in relationships down the road. Totally. Totally. Yeah. I mean, in both cases, right. Like relating to who I grew up with and in relationships later down the road for me, it was like constantly trying to intuit what the other person wants to try to be that so that I can diffuse any tension because horribly traumatized and think that tension is always right around the corner. That would make me very exhausted and I wouldn't take care of my own needs and nourish my own cup. I I feel that in a relationship, you're really only giving 20% of your energy to the person. And that's after you've taken care of all your needs and like what brings you joy, taking care of your passions. It's like all that excess energy you're giving to that person. And that's, somebody might call that selfish or that you're not being considerate, but I I take the extreme stance. Like, no, you're being ultra considerate. And I wasn't really doing that with both my family and people I was in a relationship with. I was just constantly worrying about in this moment, did they suddenly turn on me? And what are they feeling? How can I mirror that? How can I crack jokes? How can I act in a way that I think will be pleasing to them? And that's fine to an extent when I'm feeling good and it's very natural behavior, but when I'm not taking care of my own needs, then I'm exhausted and it's full of tension and stress and like shame and I'm not worthy and there's a lot of anxiety there. How did you start to shift from that codependency? And I know you have some other stuff going on too. And did you learn all about that around the same time or was it at different times, the borderline personality disorder versus the codependency? The the BPD was pretty recent, maybe in the last, probably last year, maybe last six months, something like that. My dad kind of, one of the cool things he he did for me was introduce me to self-help really early on. And that kind of planted some seeds when I was like in my real early twenties, that's correct. I started learning more about trauma, how that manifested. Cause I had kind of exhausted all the self-help things like Tony Robbins, Zig Ziglar, the CEO of First Form, I think, Andy Frisella. Like I'm, I was just religiously listening to all these podcasts and like trying to discover like, how can I be better? How can I take more action? And I would try to do these things, but it, it wouldn't produce the results that I wanted. And I was tired all the time. And I'm like, okay, I don't think this is how it's supposed to be. Like something's missing here. So then I started learning about trauma and started kind of investigating. I'm like, okay, what's, what's trauma? What's this? Because I always thought trauma was like, you came back from a war or something and you've seen your friends die. Like that's trauma. I didn't realize that trauma could be as simple as some, your, your mom, you saying, hey mom, can I get this box of Cap'n Crunch as one random example? And she's like, no, put that back. Like that could be scarring. That could be very traumatizing. So I started learning about that. I got into spirituality and started learning a lot about spirituality. And then I started through various teachers kind of piecing things together and tying things together regarding trauma and how to dissolve that, how to heal that. Yeah. Yeah. And when you learned about the trauma being so simple, it could be that tiny thing. What happened inside of you? Was it validating 
what happened? You know, were you like jumping up and down for joy going, oh my gosh, now I know what happened. You, you see where I'm going? <laughs> totally. Definitely a lot of relief because I'd been trying a lot of things for a long time and nothing was really working or minimally working, not the results that I wanted. And I would find like these different gems, like that being one of them. And like, oh, like trauma, like what is trauma? Like learning about that, like, wow. And every time I'd find one of these gems, I felt very validated and like reassured, like, okay, like this is possible to get over. Like, this is possible to, to heal. And once I knew that, I'm like, okay, well, priorly, I was super depressed. And there was a period where I deeply wanted to kill myself and I was thinking about that. And as I learned, started learning this information, more and more, I felt like that started to dissipate because now I see an out. Now I can move in this direction and it might be slow and it might take a long time, but at least I know there's like the silver lining. Like I will be okay eventually with enough time. Learning that gave you hope. And because if you're on the precipice of being ready to commit suicide and then you start learning about trauma and all of a sudden the next day comes and the next day comes and the next day comes and you're feeling like that's getting further away. That's pretty amazing that it just took some learning and some understanding. I mean, what led you to even look up trauma? Totally. I've been following a bunch of different teachers and one of them came out with a course kind of talking about it. And it was, there's a lot of good stuff in it, but I didn't, there's a lot of, I also didn't understand. So that I'm sorry, what was your question again? Can you, can we say that? Sure. No problem. What led you to look up trauma? Because it seems like that was really the shifting point for you. Like was learning about it. Gotcha. Yes. Yes. So once I went through that course, I did a live event and I went through his online course and I just repeatedly watched different modules and applied what he talked about until I kind of exhausted the extent of that for me. And then I went on to study like energy, like anything energy wise, like what changes energy, what is energy, like that whole side of spirituality, because I could see some correlations from like the different terminology that they talk about. And there's just a lot of similarities. So yeah, it just started ramping up. Like as I kind of got these different tidbits from different teachers, things slowly started to make more and more sense. And just being able to like identify different patterns like identifying patterns and building more awareness of how I'm acting and how the trauma that I'm carrying is influencing those patterns really takes the edge off. Cause it's like, wow, there's nothing actually wrong with me. I'm great. I'm amazing at my core, but I'm just carrying this conditioning. And the more I'm aware of this conditioning and how this conditioning is showing up and how to healthily deal with that, then that kind of takes a lot of the, I think, self-attack that I, I definitely had growing up when I didn't know anything about it or how to deal with it. I was just beating myself up constantly, like, be better. Why aren't you like everybody else? What's wrong with you? Okay. So your internal voice was, if you will, I'm sick, bad, and wrong. There's nothing I can do right. So you were really mean to yourself thinking you had no reason or why wasn't what you were doing working maybe? Totally. How do you keep moving forward when you have that internal voice like that? Or like, was it just, if I do this one thing right, maybe then what was your thought process at that point? It was definitely, uh, definitely not a straight line. It was very much, very much came in waves. There'd be a wave of inspiration, learning, applying stuff, especially in the beginning. And then there'd be a wave just kind of crashing and falling down and falling into my go-to addictive patterns to distract myself, to numb, to suppress lots of drinking back then, lots of smoking weed. I was chain smoking cigarettes, just going to bars. 
and just like wasting time, a lot of sleeping, a lot of watching Netflix and stuff. And all these things are great independently. It's how you use them, right? And I was not really using them in a, in a healthy way. I was using them to numb. So then I would come out of that and then learn a little bit more, apply a little bit more, swing back, <laughs> numb a little bit more. And over time, you just kind of keep refining that until you find a balance of not so much a balance of like numbing and learning, <laughs> but more so a balance of sensing when you're coming into needing more time with yourself, needing more space with yourself, needing to give yourself more compassion and do things that are going to fill your cup versus ignore that because we're out of touch with that because we have been, we've been suppressing things for all of our life. So we don't then pull the trigger on these addictive tendencies. So we don't pick up that cigarette because we only do those things. I only did those things because of the emotional conflict underneath. As I started taking care of that, I stopped doing a lot of those things. I don't smoke cigarettes anymore. I rarely drink. I don't smoke weed anymore. I don't drink coffee anymore. And I can't. Like These things cause me so much anxiety now. Back then, I was doing, drinking pots of coffee, chain smoking cigarettes. Fine, fine. But I realized like the more I started having that internal relief through embracing these emotions, I became more sensitive to what I was feeling, but also became more sensitive to like everything that I was ingesting into my body. And I just got a lot of anxiety and it just became very easy to let go of these things because I didn't have that emotional addiction behind it. Like I didn't have that emotional charge anymore because I was doing that for myself. Now I still got times, downtimes, two or three days ago, I got super lonely and I really wanted to go hook up with somebody instead of sit with those emotions. I ended up sitting with those emotions, but it was very fucking difficult. So I'm still to this day struggling with a lot of things. But it's a lot better. And I hope that answered your question. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I kind of chuckled when you said it was really effing difficult. <laughs> you know, and, and that's just because of my beliefs. I don't cuss that much. So bear with oh, me. <laughs> oh, no, it's okay. Yeah. I can hear it. One of my family members, I'll have to tell you, she used to say, to say the F word so much. I had to process what she actually was saying. It took me like minutes to figure, you know, or it felt like minutes to me, which it wasn't. But like I would be quiet for a little bit because I still had to process through it. So whatever other people do, that's all good. I'm, I'm good. It's just me. So, so that's why I said it that way. But Beautiful. you know, like when you said you got super lonely and you had that desire and then you sat with it and it sounded like that was really hard. And in that, that difficulty of that emotion and that pain and, and if you will, suffering because you feel lonely, right? To me, that's suffering. How did you allow yourself to stay in those feelings and, and just kind of surf the wave of that emotion, if you will, yeah. without trying to fix it? Because you're really good at that from what you've told me. Totally, totally. I mean, there's many things now that I like to do. One, one of my favorite things is this five-step little process that I like to give people, which is number one, I, I label all intense emotion, just my inner child, just for easy reference. Like, oh, my inner child is coming out, needs more attention. So step one is calling out like what your inner child is feeling. So that day with the loneliness, I was like, okay, hey, thank you, inner child. I can really tell that you're feeling very lonely right now. Step one. Step two, I said, thank you for being vulnerable and risking judgment. Thank you for feeling safe enough to share these feelings with me because you trust me. Step three, I said, I'm sorry that you're upset right now. I'm sorry that you're feeling very lonely, but I love you so much. Thank you for letting me know you need more love and attention right now, not less. You have a right to feel this way because of how you've been treated in the past. 
And that wasn't your fault. You didn't do anything wrong. You didn't deserve that. I admire you so much for surviving the pain, neglect, and abuse that created these emotions, this loneliness. I love all this loneliness that you're sharing with me. I love you exactly the way you are. I'm not going to leave you. And if you have more to share with me, that's okay. And I would just go, just do that for like, I don't know. I think I walked around the park nearby 30 times. So you'd consistently have to go back through those steps over and over to throughout that time frame where you were feeling those tough feelings. Totally. Yeah. Because we're, I'm so in the habit, less so now, but still present. So in the habit of just ignoring that, right? Suppressing, just like stepping it down or doing something to take the edge off, numbing, or just mentally disassociating. So not focusing on the emotion and what that's trying to show me and tell me and share with me, but just think about other stuff. Like, what do I got to do right now? What do I want to do later? All this is a form of numbing. So it's like cutting through that and just getting to the heart of the emotion. It's like, what am I feeling? Let me sit with this. Although it feels like maybe I'm going to die. Definitely have that feeling, like literally. Maybe it feels like I can't, like there's no way I can survive this. Like it's so intense, but sitting with it and doing your best to open up a dialogue with it. What's here? What's this trying to show me? And after enough attempts over time with enough practice, it gets easier and easier and easier. And you start having these really deep revelations of it really isn't your fault. And this is why you're feeling this. And it's okay that you're feeling this and it's all right. And it's just another wave of hurt that's just passing. And a lot like what I imagine childbirth to be like, you just get these pangs of pain, but you're ushering in life. And it's like, you're ushering in a new state of being. So you just kind of got to be present and gently walk that emotion back home. That's really interesting. I love how you described it because I really felt, I felt when I heard you describe what you did, this genuine love for that inner child and, and for those feelings that you really actually turned it into. I appreciate this feeling. You might not like it. It might be uncomfortable and yet feeling it is so important. And you had said something about like numbing. And then when you said that you were also talking about things like I need to do this or I need to do this. Can you expand on how making a list of things that you need to do could be also numbing or trying to run away from those feelings. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. That's one of my favorite topics. So there's two real big functions of the wounded inner child, as I call it. So one is intense wanting. So we want things because they'll make us feel better and we're seeking relief, but nothing is going to feel or nothing's going to bring us as much relief as sitting with those emotions and embracing them and reclaiming more of our power, more of our energy, because then that allows us to feel what it feels like to actually be ourselves as we once were amazing, filled with unlimited love, vibrant beings before we were imbued with with that pain and, and that conditioning. And the other function is how do I figure out what's blocking me, what's wrong with me so I can fix that and change that. So those are the two kind of driving forces happening at most moments, at least in the beginning. So there's this tendency to go, well, what am I doing wrong? What, what can I do more of to get enough, whatever it is, money, status, be cooler. What can I change about myself? What can I remove? What can I improve? What can I amplify to feel better? Right. And so when you're doing that, you're not feeling the feeling you're looking at what you can do to fix the feeling. So whether it's the list in your head or 
buying everything on Amazon <laughs> or daily buying something, I'm thinking that there might be some sort of physical response that happens that makes you feel better for just a minute. Cause like you, I think what I also heard you say is until you sit with those feelings and give them the space, you can do all these other things, but you're not going to get to where you want to go. If you want to share your relatively damaged story of struggle and how you found hope, visit us at damagedparents.com and complete the contact form. Because like you, I think what I also heard you say is until you sit with those feelings and give them the space, you can do all these other things, but you're not going to get to where you want to go. Totally. I mean, said it perfectly, like that word right there is space. That's like the worst nightmare of all those emotions is space, is just sitting still. And it's so hard to sit still when that energy is very much overwhelming us. We're so focused. There's this, all this insistence and aggression and assertion. One example I had, I gave this on a gift call I did yesterday. I was talking to her about this very same subject. And I was like, earlier in the day, yesterday, I was making myself some tea and I ripped this off just so aggressively and was just like taking the packet out because I had some emotions that I wasn't really super aware of. Like I was dimly aware it was in the peripheral, it wasn't super big a deal. And I was like, whatever, I'll just take care of it later. I, I got a call in a little bit. I made all these rationalizations. But when I ripped the tea off very aggressively, I was like, whoa, why did I just do that? It was just like, like this moment was just a means to an end to get to the next moment, to get to the next moment. So I could I'd do the call later and then do that and do that. And I wasn't really here. And I caught myself when I did that. And I was like, whoa, wait a minute. I kind of just like took a breath, gently took the tea packet out, made my tea, but with presence. And not this insistence. And it's that insistence that keeps chaining one moment with another moment that keeps us in a state of stress and in our heads. And it almost feels like we're suffocating. So in that state, it's like any activity should be met with the utmost calm. And that's the greatest, in my opinion, that's the greatest indicator of how close or far away from who you actually are, is how calm are you? Our default personality to me is extremely calm. Like the farther you get away from that, the more inflamed our personality has become because our nervous system is overstimulated. We got these emotions that we're not looking at. And now we're trying to look for like, what experiences can I gain to make me feel better? Or what can I change about myself? How, how can I take more action? And we make up these crazy fucking lists, to-do lists and obstacle courses that we don't really want to do. Maybe that we, we would like to be doing, or I'm a fan of saying, I will eventually be doing these things but I'm not inspired to do them right now. And we just beat ourselves up. And then we're like, oh, I can't do this. Or maybe I do one or two of the items, but I failed to do all the other items. So let me now just beat myself up for not being good enough versus going, I don't need to do any of these items. This is not what I need right now. What I need is to fucking sit down with myself and really feel what I'm feeling or take a bath or go for a walk or call my mom, whatever. Yeah. So it sounds like learning to love yourself is important and being present. Now you had given an example about the tea bag and just ripping open really hard that tea bag. And you caught yourself at that moment. I'm thinking it took you a long time to get to that point to where you could catch yourself there instead of a few hours later or a few days later. What has learning that been like and practicing that? Extremely challenging, but also very rewarding. Because the more I'm able to nurture that state of calm, where I am able to listen to like what other people are saying to me versus 
continually having my thoughts flicker to like some worry or some problem in my life. To be calm and easy, to be sitting with those emotions, the more calm I feel. And from that place, I'm not having to effort or to analyze or break things down. There's a lot of intuition. There's a lot of inspiration. There's a lot of ease. There's a lot of effortlessness. And that becomes super addictive. The buy-in for that, <laughs> sitting with the emotions, being aware of your state and just being like, okay, let me just breathe. Let me slow down 400% here. That's challenging. It still is challenging. There's days where I'm just like, I hate this. Oh, I, when will this change? Why is it so slow? Why can't I just be like this? Like everybody else. But more and more, those days are far and few between. And I, I just feel grateful that I get to have this, these states of, of calm and surf these waves of inspiration. And that seems to be daily increasing incrementally. And I'm just very appreciative. So one of the things I'm hearing is even when you want to change, it's a slow process and that's okay. That's a lot of what I got from what you just said. And the other part is that being present is really important. And I heard you say, slow down 400%. (laughs) Yes. And I think you exaggerate for a valid reason, right? (laughs) Because when I'm upset, being present is very difficult, right? So it sounded like maybe one of the things you, first you recognize the teabag and then what did you do? Did you say something in your mind? Did you take deep breaths? What was the process? So when I feel my emotions are like a a seven, eight, nine, 10, I'll use the, like the mantra that I, I gave earlier, like, Hey, I can really tell you're upset right now. Da, 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 da and work myself down to like a six, six and below, I focus exclusively on breathing and noticing the breath. It's not so much like breathing for a count of four and exhaling for a count of six. And if you do that, that's amazing. But it's more so just noticing the breath itself and not trying to impose any sort of structure to it. Just like let your body breathe however it wants to breathe, but just notice it. And as we notice our breath, we automatically and gradually begin relaxing and our nervous system begins relaxing. And we keep this state of being mentally alert, but physically relaxed. And when you merge those two together, I find that your conditioning starts to unravel and dissolve. And the more we can make that state familiar of I'm aware, I'm alert, and not so much like I'm alert for worry and I'm thinking about all the things I need to do, but no, like I'm present. Like there's actually no thoughts here, which might sound like a crazy concept. And I'm physically relaxed and I'm just breathing and I feel very calm. And then I'm bringing that calm into conversations with other people, into my activity, be it making tea or just like grabbing this. Like I'm actually aware that I'm grabbing the bottle. I'm not just like grabbing it while I'm thinking about things or thinking about getting to the next place. And it's that that chaining events and chaining thoughts together, which is only happening because we're overstimulated. And there's a strong correlation when our breathing begins to become very shallow we become, our nervous system gets overstimulated and we become very stressed out. And that's when we want to numb more. We distract more. We want to suppress things more. If we can start relaxing, slowing the breath down just by noticing, not like forcing it, because that can create a lot of frustration, but just by noticing it and just allowing ourselves to gradually, effortlessly, automatically relax, I find a lot of my conditioning just melts away. I can be present with people, but if they're mad at me or something, it, it doesn't have nearly the effect it has when I am overstimulated, because then that conditioning is very prevalent. And then I'm like, oh, it's my fault. And then I can shut down. Whatever you say is right. Like I am a terrible person and somehow I'm responsible for your perceptions about life. Right. That's got to be a hard world to live in when you believe that you're the, the problem 
because someone else has these feelings that are scary. I mean, really, they can be scary, right? When someone's angry, that can be scary, especially based on what you were telling me. I'm thinking it took time to get there too, where you could be in a situation and also find the calm and focus on your breathing. 100%. Yeah. And there's still days where they're their state sometimes is extremely overwhelming. And I I feel that kind of like internal anguish. But again, that directly links up with how relaxed am I and how much am I connecting with what I'm feeling? When I'm doing that now, it's, I just have a lot of empathy because I know that I'm not responsible for how how you're feeling. And and really you're just showing me how you were treated in the past because happy people don't treat other people like that. So you were hurt. So that brings in a lot of empathy versus judging the person like, wow, like, no, like you're literally showing me how you were treated when you were younger. So I'm, I'm sorry. Like, I'm sorry that you feel that way. Like that, that sucks. So it allows compassion, but also allows drawing boundaries. Doesn't mean I have to like consistently be around that person. I can easily just be like, hey, maybe we should talk about this later or just avoid that person or create more space between that person. And that was extremely hard for me to do in the past and still is challenging to this day. But the more I embrace my own emotions, the more my self-esteem and self-worth raises. And the nicer I am to myself, which also increases that self-esteem and self-worth. And as that increases, I just stop becoming in sync with how those people are feeling when they are upset with me or they're projecting because I don't take it personally because I have more of that self-esteem and self-worth. And I can see that has, has nothing to do with me. And one realization that I had is like, wow, I only, or in part at least, I kept myself at such a low place because much like the disappointment thing I mentioned earlier in our conversation, it's like, if I try to stand up for myself and and feel good and then they get mad, that's such a huge letdown versus if I just can continually keep myself feeling like crap and then they say something, then there's not as big as of a a fall. Ooh, I never thought, so it's almost was easier to stay at that lower point than it is to, was to build that self-esteem and start finding boundaries and things like that. Because when you get there, then it feels maybe the belief would be, oh my gosh, I'm going to crash and burn and I'm going to fall off this cliff and it's going to hurt really bad. Totally. I never thought of it that way before. And I think that's really interesting. And it would make sense why people would be afraid to shift and change. Totally. Totally. That's amazing because I think that a lot of people will relate with that. I mean, I certainly did. <laughs> so if I'm going to make it about me, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> so tell us a little bit about borderline personality disorder for the people who don't know what that is and how that impacts you. Yeah. So I want to be clear. I'm not diagnosed. This oh, okay. is just what I've looked up from the internet and tests and stuff. It hits a, I had a, like every single one. Of, I think I'm not, I'm missing like one of the, one, one of them, but I have the rest. Basically in a nutshell, from my limited understanding, you are feeling everything to the extreme. And unlike bipolar disorder, hope me in this right, which is you kind of go through these waves, these periods, maybe like a week or two of feeling really depressed. And then a week or two of feeling maybe manic, borderline personality disorder, it's extreme in every moment. You could be extremely angry at one second, extremely shut down, feeling ashamed of yourself, worthless the next second. And it's just these crazy like peaks and not really valleys, just a bunch of peaks, just crazy highs or crazy lows. And I'm what's called a a, a quiet BPD, self-diagnosed, which means that I don't really express that. I'm not really like angry. I'm not really violent. I'm just extremely quiet and 
I hold that like storm of emotion within while on the outside appearing that everything's cool. So I can have a normal conversation, especially in the past with somebody and they would know I'm upset and I could smile and just have a normal dialogue. So I could have triggered you already. You could be really, really mad at me and I might not know it because you look happy and jovious. (laughs) Yeah. I I mean, in anger, it would be a rare one for me. It'd be more like obligated. I feel obligated to to do whatever you like. I would have no like zero boundaries. Like if you're like, Hey, you want to go do this? I'd be like, yeah, I would just be shaking with fear because I don't want to upset you. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> yeah. It was crazy. It's absolutely crazy. So that, that's my extent of it, of my understanding of it. Just extreme highs, extreme lows. I was the quiet version. So I hold everything in. Is it scary to share that then? Because if you're the quiet person holding it in, was it? I, well, I can't, I don't know that it would still be scary because you're, you do so much online, but in your private life, like letting someone know that these are those feelings that are happening, is that still scary? Because I think it would be based on what you're saying, the fear and doing things the way you did. Yeah. Not so much scary. Like how I feel about it is it's more like, like, I know what's causing it and I know the remedy for it. So I just, I don't even want to talk about it. <laughs> like, this is fine. This is fine. I'm just not, I'm not uncomfortable or anything, but I mean, more so like, I'll just do the inner work. Like I'd rather just, I'll come hang out with you when I'm feeling inspired and when I'm not, I'm just going to do me and sit with these emotions and it's just going to play out over time and I'll just keep getting better and better and better. And yeah, th- that's cool. I'll keep it very personal with my community of people that I coach. I'm very, very open about what I'm feeling. I try to be that way on social as well. I try to be extremely transparent. But yeah, I just, I get frustrated very easily. Like why talk about it? What would be more optimal or like would be more efficient is like just to go sit with these damn emotions. So then instead of talking to you about it, not you, but like somebody as an example, instead of just venting, I could just be venting to myself. And then I can actually bring my personality of having fun with you and enjoying with you to the table. And we could have, you know, a really good time together. Now that's, that's extreme. It's very dramatic. Like I have my best friends and sometimes I do vent and sometimes I'm going through something, but I so strongly dislike that feeling because I want to keep training all the time myself to be there for myself. And it's very extremist that probably will balance out over time, but yeah, that's that's how I feel about it. Okay. So I think what I hear you saying is more often than not, you choose to want to just sit with those feelings so that you can get better maybe at understanding who you are and what that means and and what you're going through. And sometimes you might vent or say, Hey, I need some support or, you know what, I'm not going to, I'm not going to engage right now because I need this time to process. Am I picking up on that? Totally. For the most part. Yeah. I, I think processing emotion is really hard and you're doing a really good job at explaining how difficult it can be. And I think most people struggle with that. Otherwise it wouldn't be a conversation in today's world. Right. Totally. And I, I struggle with that. Like it's, it feels in a lot of ways it's, it's gotten extremely easier, but in a lot of ways it feels just as hard as when I first started. So I really relate with that. Two really cool things that, that kind of came up when you shared that is like, number one, viewing this as a tremendous gift that like our parents and family have, have given us like this conditioning because it provides the opportunity to love ourselves and be our own parent. And that's kind of fucking cool. And not, not a lot of people get that. Like if you grew up with, I don't think any of us have perfect parents, but like if you got a lot more healthy conditioning, that's awesome. 
And that's really great. But our silver lining is we get to give that to ourselves. And number one, and number two, it's such a beautiful journey rediscovering who you are and that the more you heal and embrace these emotions and make this state of just being calm and just breathing easy, normal and familiar, you just realize how great it is to just be yourself. You know, it's, it's like corny and cheesy as that sounds like. It's just like you're beautiful and you have things that you're passionate about and you have creativity and, and a sense of humor. And it's really awesome to be you. And that just kind of got eclipsed in, in childhood. So reconnecting with that, rediscovering that is amazing. And I think that totally outweighs any sort of discomfort that you might feel initially. That's really, that is really beautiful. Thank you for saying that. I just keep going back to what was that Disney movie about the feelings? Well, soul was the one with the, before we come to earth, right? Oh, goodness gracious. That's probably not important. But like getting to be okay with and love. I mean, I just, I really think your message comes back to love who you are. And when you're struggling, just notice your breath and breathe because you're beautiful. Who you were meant to be is still there. And I think that's a beautiful message. I'm trying to think if there are any more questions I have. I think we've done a pretty good job at digging into it. I think so. I think so. So the thing I do at the end of my podcast is I ask for three tips or tools that you want to give the listeners. We may have already talked about them, maybe not, but three things you want them to walk away from this podcast with that maybe they could do today or at least think about doing. Oh, exciting. What an exciting question. Okay. Give you guys the real good stuff. So number one, it's super, super helpful to identify how you're disassociating. So the three types of disassociation is emotional, mental, and physical. So what do I mean by that? Emotional, you have intense emotions that are rising and we're choosing to to not look at those, to neglect those. Number two, mental, you have thoughts that are just on on repeat. That's not normal. A normal state of like using the mind healthily is you're inspired and you act upon that inspiration or upon that that aligned emotion, if you will. So when I notice myself just thinking about random stuff, it could be what I want to eat, could be what I want to do later, could be thinking about what you just said five minutes ago, like anything. That's a big clue to me that, wait a minute, I'm disassociating. I'm getting stressed out. Like there's something I'm not looking at or my nervous system is beginning to become overstimulated. So I want to acknowledge any emotions and just slow things down and just really calm down. And you'll notice there might be a little agitation there. There might be a little restlessness. That's great. Agitation, impatience, restlessness are the indicators that you're about to enter a supreme state of peace. So just keep increasing the amount of stillness of space and you will come into that just like relief, into that that just nice grounded state where you're now just talking to people from a very calm place. And this doesn't mean you got to be monotone. Like, we cracked jokes here. It was a good time. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> there was a, a, a fluctuation of emotion. And I'm not like at 100% calm, but like pretty calm. So mental is a big one. And then physical, noticing, is there any tension in your body? Is there any pressure around your face? Are your shoulders tense? How's your breathing? Huge, so big, so big. That could be the second tip, breathing. How are you breathing? Can you properly take a breath in or it's just like consistently if it's like that just practice slowing down practice just noticing the breath and just slowing it down that's so huge and the third one i'd say is incorporating a some sort of breathing practice 
for 15 minutes a day, preferably in the morning when you first wake up. When you first wake up, sit up, go drink some water. We're usually very dehydrated while we sleep. Go use the bathroom, maybe take a walk around your house to get the blood moving, and then come sit in your bed, your chair, set a timer on your phone, 15 minutes, and just notice your breath. And notice what it feels like to just become more calm and to let your body gradually relax and make that normal, make that the state that you're carrying into your day and just see what starts to happen. Cause I think you'll be pleasantly surprised at how you might've not, you know, responded as quickly to someone as you might have before, or there might not be as much tension or anxiety or anger or impatience or whatever it might be. That'll just happen more and more and more. So those are like three really quick ones. Those are fantastic. I am so glad I got to have you on the show today, everybody. Dante, the Backyard Buddha. You can find him on TikTok and Instagram. I'm so glad you were here. Thanks for having me. This was awesome, and I love your energy. If you want to share your relatively damaged story of struggle and how you found hope, visit us at damagedparents.com and complete the contact form. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Relatively Damaged by Damaged Parents. We really enjoyed talking to Dante, the Backyard Buddha, about how he has been able to recover and find ways to deal with his personal challenges. We especially liked when he taught us to look for the three different ways we might be dissociating. To unite with other damaged people, connect with us on TikTok. Look for Damaged Parents. We'll be here next week, still relatively damaged. See you then.